wanted to start out there they are the program but i did it came up last night talking to steve barry about what happens when you're writing an international thriller during COVID, and you can't go places, but you still want to write about them. And Steve was very good explaining about how he did it, but it occurred to me that you both faced that problem. So I thought you might both want to discuss it, and how different is it now when you can actually go to the locations again? So alphabetical order, Mark, then, then um, Brad? Yeah, I'll, I'll start. Um, yeah, so the first year of COVID, I don't planned is a book I did called Relentless and it was took place in Berlin and I've been to Berlin several times I lived in Cologne for about six months years and years ago and um, and I love going to Berlin and it's just a cool place so my plan was to like rent an apartment and like me and the family would go over there for like 10 12 days something like that and um, then COVID happened and the fact that I knew Berlin pretty well was helpful but you know, you just there's there's lots of research you can do online. I, uh, even before COVID, one year I was about to go to Vietnam to do a research on a book at Vietnam and Thailand, and at the last minute I had to have surgery on my ankle, so I couldn't go. I wrote the whole book from my couch, and it just it just makes you work that much harder. And then you're probably you're probably missing some nuances and stuff, but you know you just try and you, you just try and tell the best story you can. And so that was my first year with COVID was Berlin, and I didn't get to go, but you know it wasn't the worst thing because I'd spent a, a good amount of time in Germany. And then the next year, I'm like, well, COVID will be better by next year. So I, I put the book in India, which was in 2021, there was no worse place <laughs> on the planet <laughs> for COVID than India, unfortunately. So for that book, um, I wasn't able to go, but I had a, just a fan who lived in Mumbai, where a lot of the book takes place. And uh, she had written me, and she was just like, you know, I'm a big fan of yours or whatever. And I'm like, I see you're in Mumbai. <laughs> <laughs> so she went around and took pictures for me and, and, and answered a lot of questions for me. And, and she didn't read a whole draft. Um, that's a, a, a big thing that happens a lot is where people go like, um, you got this thing wrong about the landing gear of the, you know, of an otter airplane. It doesn't come out of the skids. It comes out of the side. Like, who does your aviation research? It's like ridiculous. And, <laughs> and I'm always like, well, I've got fighter pilots that do my aviation research, but that doesn't mean that I, they read every word of my book and, you know, like, they're going to comment on one particular type of landing gear. But, yeah, so the second year was India, and I wasn't able to go. And, uh... And I, I think the, the book turned out good. It was Sierra Six. I was happy with the book, but um, it would have been great to have been on the ground. I know you've been to yeah. you've been to Mumbai and somewhere else in India. Yeah. Right? That, so my next book is actually in India, and they brag about COVID, which I'm kind of like. So everybody died, and you just didn't report it. <laughs> basically, what happened? Because um, I can imagine COVID going through some of the slums there. But for me, actually, I planned a trip to uh, Croatia. Had it all planned, everything going, and same thing happened. COVID hit, locked us all down, and. Um, so I just went back to uh, all the places I'd been to for book research because I take a bazillion pictures and do a ton of research, but none of it, only about 10% of it makes the page. Uh, and so then I'm like, okay, where have I been that I haven't used? Because there's always some place that I wanted to use. I really wanted to use this, but there's just no way. That it didn't. The story didn't flow that way. And so this time during COVID, I'm like, well, it's going to flow this way because I'm starting off with <laughs> it's going to go this way, that way, and this way. And uh, the next year, um, Croatia, as it happened, was the only country that opened up in all of Europe to travel, and I already had the plan. 
I was like, Elaine says, what are we going to do? What's your next book on? I said, I have no idea, but we're going to Croatia. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what we did. That was really cool. You had a lot of wonderful stuff about Croatia, including the fort and, you know, uh, all the Yeah, it worked out well. Yeah. And so for Dead Man's Hand, the book that you yeah, you were here in back. January, and right. now you're back. That's the Ukraine and Russia. So I'm assuming right. you didn't actually go to much of it. Uh, no, not Ukraine and Russia. I actually said I'm not going to get shot in Ukraine. I'm not getting arrested in Russia. So we actually looked at where we're going to go, which was just the northern belt there, the Nordic countries and, and the Baltic states, and that's where we ended up going. So I forgot to say, welcome to the publication party for the Chaos Agent, which is Lucky 13 for the Gray Man. Thank you. Yay. Thank you. I know, so we're really pleased. Seems that like just yesterday. That was <laughs> I don't think I was here for my first book. I think it was my second was the first time I was here. Yeah, you know, I often it was the paperback. Yeah, that I yeah, do yeah. know. First four right. The great thing about being an independent, not-for-profit bookstore is that you can actually do a seven ninety-nine paperback event. Um, most bookstores really don't do that because there's no money in it. But um, I really love Mark's first book, and also you were writing with a couple of other. Like mm-hmm. Tom Clancy and yeah. so forth. Yeah, yeah. So you, but the Gray Man did start as a paperback, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. The first four Gray Man books. I get people all the time asking me where they can find the hardback, and I had one guy one time who's like, "Hey, I don't know if you can help me, but I, I had all your first four books in hardback, and somebody stole them. I was wondering if you, <laughs> if you yeah, could right. like send me free ones." <laughs> oh, and I was boy. like, "Yeah, you are so busted." Dude. Are you from Nigeria? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's I'm so like, that's funny. cool. I've never seen them. <laughs> they must have stolen mine. Well, you know, sometimes um, somebody asked me, I guess it was Steve last night, we have some copies of a book called May Day by Clive Cussler, and Steve's going, I don't remember May Day. And I said, well, it's actually the British edition of the Mediterranean Caper, which was Clive's first book, and it was a paperback original, but his British publisher did bring it out as a hardcover. Yeah. You know, so there are weird things that happen. Yeah, yeah. There really are. So um, why don't we talk about the chaos agent? I'll just be quiet over here and let you take it away. Okay. All right. I've never done an interview before, so <laughs> I didn't know he's going to have to suffer through. So he's interviewed me a couple of times. Yeah, I've never say, interviewed. It feels like you have because <laughs> I've, I've interviewed you. So I'm going to start right out. We were just talking about this a few minutes ago. So... Uh, um, one of the questions that never gets asked is, where'd you come up with a title? Mm-hmm. And the reason I'm talking about this now is because we were just talking about this, and I have a new book that I'm writing right now, and they're asking for titles, and I said, uh, how about Agents of Chaos? And they immediately said, no, <laughs> this book is a chaos agent. <laughs> and so uh, um, this was actually months ago, and so what, how'd that work out? How'd you come up with a title? Well, I came up with the title... Um, I wanted to call it Agent of Chaos, but I, <laughs> I, I had a book called Agent in Place that came out a few times ago, so then I, I thought of the Chaos Agent. It's, so of all the Gray Man books, there's a couple that I did not come up with the title for um, because they didn't like my title for one reason or another. And there's all these reasons. They have marketing meetings about the titles. Um, my second Gray Man book was that ended up being called On Target. That was like that was written in a meeting <laughs> room <laughs> in New York where I wasn't even there. Um, I had wanted to call it Killer of Men, and they just didn't think that would, like, yeah. <laughs> sound good or, or whatever. So, And then I had a book that was going to be called Weaponized, and they didn't like it because they thought it was too long for to go across, for big lettering going across the cover. So I'm like, now i got to do short, you know, yeah. words or whatever. Um, and then c- the Gray Man 14 that I'm, about to start working on we've already had to come up with the title because they have to do stuff really far in advance 
So they've already had like a cover meeting and all this stuff. So they needed locations. And I went through maybe 50 titles and my editor didn't really like any of them. Oh, he probably sent I'm me. I'm not that level yet. He, he sent me like 25 and I none of them really jumped out. And then I think we've I think we've kind of ended up on something that was like not terrible. <laughs> so I won't I won't announce it yet because right. I, you, you never want to do that. They haven't even said. Yeah, they haven't even said. But um, yeah, Chaos Agent was just um. So there's a uh, an intelligent agent, an artificial intelligence um. Large large language model, whatever you want to call it, it's, it's basically an, in, an intelligent agent that's in the book. And then also court is an agent of the CIA in this one. And if anybody doesn't know this, if if you watch TV, you're gonna you're gonna learn it the wrong way. Or if you watch the Gray Man movie, you learn it the wrong way. Um, to be in the CIA, an agent of the CIA is someone who is working on behalf of the CIA, not an employee of the CIA. So, if you're in the CIA, you're an officer. So in the Gray Man movie, every time they run around calling each other agent, yeah. I just cringe. You know, it's like yeah, that's, that's never been in any of my books. Yeah. Um, but you can be an agent of the CIA yeah. if you're not, a, you know, an employee of the CIA and you're working on their behalf. Um, so he is, at this point in his career, this is the 13th book in the series, and he's had every relationship with the CIA that you can imagine. And now he has kind of, there's a detente to some degree, and, and he is working with them to some degree in this book. So it was just kind of a double entendre that he, yeah. he was the chaos agent and agent of chaos is there's a line in the book about this artificial intelligence being an agent of chaos well i thank you for taking my title <laughs> <laughs> well you um, did hunter killer right yeah i wanted hunter killer and you did so, so you, you, okay you, you payback. Got back. Yeah, it's just payback um well you mentioned artificial intelligence and artificial intelligence factors heavily in the book and one thing i liked about the uh is the weaponization of artificial intelligence and um artificial intelligence right now is is it's on par with first chemical weapons in World War One, and then nuclear weapons in World War Two, in that we make a lot of weapons, but we don't really talk about the morality of the weapon. It's just, does it kill a lot of people? Give it to me. And artificial intelligence has now become kind of a moral issue, where do we want to allow this thing? Do we want to build, you saw the movie Oppenheimer, do we want to build a nuclear bomb? Is that the right thing to do? And we're grappling with that right now. And talk about some of the research behind that. Yeah, so the... I got interested in the idea for this book from like watching people like Elon Musk and you know these mega billionaires that have these really sophisticated artificial intelligence labs these commercial labs private labs and you know Google's working with the military and um, everybody's working with the Chinese it was very interesting a, a few years ago um, there was a Department of Defense thing called Project Maven, mm -hmm. which was an artificial intelligence um, being that was designed by Google that was going to be used to watch drone footage um, to use object classifiers, uh, basically to to find interesting stuff because there's millions of hours of drone footage and you know that the Defense Department has and they can't look at it all. So they were working with Google to um, you know to come up with an art artificial intelligence to to monitor that all and the word got out that Google was working with the Department of Defense so X number of thousands of Google employees wrote this letter saying we refuse to be you know we're not we're passive we're not we're we don't want to work with the military this had nothing to do with weapons at all this was just identifying it's like we're not 
you know, going to kill for the U.S. military. So the whole Project Maven was canceled because right. of the, the publicity. Meanwhile, Google had hundreds and hundreds of business relationships with Chinese mm -hmm. firms, um, and all of that is dual use, and the Chinese government and the Chinese military has, you know, the ability to get all of that. So it's, it's very, you know, it's very, very short-sighted. But when I was doing my research, um, you know, I got the idea of what if there was one of these large language models, one of these big artificial intelligence um, um <coughs> creations that was also given access to offshore bank accounts and was given the mission of socially engineering people to for, for an intelligence purpose. Um, you know, in this one it is basically to get rid of the people that um, <coughs> can stop it or the people that would be able to identify who had created it. And so uh, there, there's a, a string of assassinations all around the world that, that kick the thing off. And so I just did a lot of research on AI and lethal autonomous weapons, which are killer robots. Um, <coughs> a lethal, lethal autonomous weapon is a weapon that can, without any human uh, action, it can um, identify, discriminate against, um, you know, search for, uh, decide to engage, and then en engage a target and kill somebody without human in there. The U.S. government has always said, or the U.S. military has always said, we will, we will always have a human on the loop, uh, the, the kill chain, mm -hmm. um, making that decision. So the OODA loop, if you guys don't know what that is, it's, um, it's a paradigm of combat. It's basically observe, orient, decide, and act. And that's how you fight. <laughs> um, it's how you do a lot of things, I guess. So you, 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 it, was, it was created by a fighter pilot named John Boyd. And um, so the observe and the orient artificial intelligence can do in America, decide is what they want a human to do, and then act the artificial the, um the weapon can do. So we're pretty steadfast in that we don't want to give control to lethal autonomous weapons. The problem with that, and so that's an ethical decision that we've made, and 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 that's actually what I was talking about. Is yeah. there's we actually talk about making treaties, yeah, like we do for nuclear test ban and that kind of stuff. We're yeah. gonna make a treaty where the OODA loop is not autonomous. There's right, got to be somebody in it. The problem is, is that is China doesn't do that, right. and then China is able to fight wars at machine speed thousands of computations a second while we have hu humans and the humans suddenly become the weak link, then it's a little too late. Um, there was a, a big simulation between uh, a U.S. Air Force F-16 pilot, one of the best F-16 pilots, against an artificial intelligence um, creation um, made by a, a small private company that almost nobody had heard of. There was a big competition to be able to to fly against the uh, the human pilot in a simulator, and so this happened, and the artificial intelligence uh, fighter plane destroyed the human being, 15 to zero. The human never got a single shot off, and talked about how incredibly um, relentlessly aggressive that the artificial intelligence was, because it didn't care about getting home to its wife and kids, it didn't care about g-forces, you know, it was just using the limits of the aircraft yeah. itself, 
and um and so that that just made me think like wow how how big and bad can this be so really the the robots and stuff that that are in the book i i want to stress that like it's not a science fiction fiction book everything here is existing technology or else emerging technology yeah. something you know like a a version of it exists e even the robots there's a, a quadruped robot of you know like a like a robot dog with a 6.5 Creedmoor rifle on it that can hit out to 1,200 yards, that's been created. Yeah. <laughs> there's there's a hexacopter drones that drop off the robot dogs and then fly away, and and the robot dogs go on their missions. All these things, the the Atlas, if if you look at YouTube videos, and I hope people will like just look at some of this stuff on YouTube if if it seems fanciful at all in the in the book because this stuff is out there. There's a Boston Dynamics has this robot called Atlas. That you pretty much can't knock down. It can beat you in a fight. One. Uh, it can jump. Yeah, yeah. It can it jump, jumps. do yeah. backflips. Yeah. It can, it can do anything. And they've, they put a gun in its hand before. You know, so, you know, where is this going to be two years from now, th five years from now? I mean, that's what the books. Yeah, about. I, I kind of like the ethical dilemma there because it, one of the things that uh, the Department of Defense argues about is you want a human in the loop. You want a human in the loop. And the other argument, because there are other people in America who are saying China's going to do this, we might as well do it is that uh, even if you put a human in the loop, you're still relying on what the machine has told you. So the observe-orient side of the house, this thing's going out there, and if it says that's a tank, you're going to press the button. So if you make a mistake and it's not a tank, you still listen to what that thing said. He would have taken a shot too. And so that's kind of the argument that's going on. Um, but as you said, this is, uh, it's, it's, not, it's a character-driven book. Uh, yeah. Definitely a character-driven book. I mean, it's espionage. There's a lot of shooting going on. Yeah. Uh, and um, you, we were talking about research. You uh, opened the book in Guatemala. Yeah. And you and I, long, long time ago, back when we were young writers, <laughs> uh, you told me the story. And I, I, I hope I'm right on this because if I'm wrong, you can just pretend like I'm right and tell me the yeah, story yeah, yeah. again. Uh, I'll, just, I'll uh, roll with it. Whatever he's about to say. You had been to uh, Guatemala a long time ago, did some, before you were a writer, had spent a lot of time down yeah. there. But that was where you came up with the idea for the gray man. It is. Um, I was right. Yeah, you okay. were right about that. Yeah, uh, initially, so I went down, I, I worked for a medical device company, and I had s studied, I'd lived in Miami like 20, you know, like 10 years before, and had studied Spanish. And uh, when I started working for this medical device company in the international department, every phone call in Spanish came to me. And it was like very overwhelming because my Spanish was horrible. Um, so I basically asked them, I said, if you will give me a leave of absence, I will on my own dime, which is about all I had, I will go down to Guatemala where for $115 a week, you can spend five hours a day sitting at a table just like this with a Spanish instructor, like a qualified Spanish instructor. And I will learn sp Spanish. So they let me do it. So I was down there. I went down three different times, for a total of four and a half months, uh, yeah, like five months. And um, and just one time while I was there, I went to uh, El Salvador just on the weekend because there were like beaches there and I thought it'd be fun. It was it was not, but <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty. They were I shooting at me, gangs running everywhere. <laughs> I saw four dead bodies um, and uh, yeah, so. I didn't have anything to do with any of them, but <laughs> but I was in I was at a bar in um, a place called La Libertad, and I was pretty much the only American there, just having a beer. And then a um, another American came in, baseball cap, kind of long hair and a beard, and he just didn't look like the other Americans that I'd seen down there in Central America, because it's it's like 
surfers and stoners and language student nerds. And I was like an old language student nerd. I was like, you know, late 30s or something. But, but most of the people that were studying language down there were in college. Um, and he just didn't look like anybody else. So I watched him. I heard him speak Spanish to the bartender. And he turned the, I, re I remember he sat at the end of the bar and there was a, a light and he turned the light off to sit in the dark. And, um, and I just sat there and started like making up a story about the guy. And um, after a few minutes, I was like, okay, so he's a burned CIA officer who, you know, there's a, there's a kill on site order for him. And um, that's why he's living in the developing world. And, you know, he's, he's completely off grid and he's down here in El Salvador where nobody knows who he is. Never talked to the guy or anything. I don't remember which one of us left first. I, I think I, I might've left, I don't even remember. But um, the next day, it was kind of bouncing around my head. Cause at that point I'd written two books and the second one I'd gotten in front of an agent. He's like, well, you're a good author, but I don't, you know, your story's not, mm -hmm. It's, it's a little ambitious for somebody that hasn't been published. So um, he asked, you know, he told me to just find something more accessible. So I was like, well, what if this guy is like an assassin? He's working as a freelance assassin and all that. So I just started writing the book. And so I, I wrote a book called Goon Squad that had this character in it, the gray man. And I gave that to the agent. And of course, it took six, nine months to write the book. And he called me up. He's like, well, I'm not going to tell you what what you want to hear. I, he's like, I think there's probably people that, you know, there's, there's probably agents that would take this, but I think you could do a lot better if you just had this character and you just had this one subplot, because one subplot in the book is he's trying to do the, his main mission, main story, but all these people from his past are trying to kill him. He's like, if that little subplot was the whole thing, and I was like, like how? And he's like, I don't know, I'm not the writer. <laughs> and uh, I was like, and so I was like, can we go back to where you said you think there's agents that would take this? <laughs> can you give me some names and phone numbers? I remember being really, really depressed. I was sitting in the um, parking lot. This is going to be a kid calling me. Um, I was sitting in the parking lot where I worked at Medtronic, and, uh, and I was just sitting in my car, and he was telling me no, but he was also telling me, you know, you're, you're good. You're just not there yet. So for a day or two days, I was just really dejected about it. And then I was like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write a book and do exactly what this guy says. It's like he wanted like more action. He wanted more this, more that. So I'm like, I'm just going to shove this down this guy's throat. <laughs> and it's like he will not be able to say no. And so that ended up being The Gray Man. And in fact, I'd written about 50 pages of The Gray Man and asked him if he could read the opening. And I'm sorry if you guys have heard this story before, but... Um, he, uh, so he read the opening, and the opening involves um, a helicopter crash with some National Guardsmen in Iraq, and the gray man comes upon the scene from distance, and all he has is like a Barrett sniper rifle, so he just shoots some of the guys that killed the Americans, there's Al-Qaeda's, like, on the crash site. So just from a mile away, he just shoots some of the people, and then he goes on towards his extraction. So Scott read that, and he's like, yeah, it's a really good scene. It's really well written. It's really impactful. He needs to save somebody, though. <laughs> and I was like, well, no, I mean, he can't because he's like 1.2 miles away. And he's like, oh, I don't care. He just he's needs to save somebody. <laughs> and again, I'm like, well, how? And he's like, I'm not the writer. <laughs> so, I w so it, but, it, but it was actually really brilliant because that totally changed the, the tone of the whole series. It's like, all right. We're going to go over the top here. I was going to try and <laughs> I was going to try and like be as like accurate and realistic as humanly possible because I thought that was right. 
and then it, he was basically going like, nope, I need you to go over the top. So it's like, all right, it's my job to make this look like it's plausible. Yeah. And that's been my job for 13 books, and yeah. that's still what I'm doing. But this is the, uh, if I'm, uh, not r this is the first time you used Guatemala in a Gray Man series? Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah, and so yeah, I'm sure you referred back to all those times. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, the town that a lot of, the opening of this book takes place is, is called Panajachel. And it's on Lake Atitlan. It's a really beautiful place. It's it's kind of remote. Um, it's sort of touristy for down there. So it's kind of like a, <laughs> a budget backpacker tourist place. But um, but it's really really nice. And I've spent a ton of time there, as well as Antigua and Chichicastenango and Hocotenango and all these other places around there. So um, it, it, for the book, I I went to Mexico and did some research there because part of the took part part of the book takes place in Mexico. Um, and then a big part of the book takes place in Cuba, and unfortunately, I wasn't able to go there. I just wasn't able to organize that trip in the short time that I had. Um, was it a, a function of a, you couldn't? Yeah, it w I, I physically could have gotten into. You could get in. Yeah, I c you you can get into Cuba. There's the, you just have to say that you're there for humanitarian purposes, and then um, like tourism itself doesn't do it. But there's like I forget what it's called. It's like something about supporting the local economy, which just means <laughs> going there. Tourism. Buying, it's basically I'm tourism. going to buy some t-shirts. So it's, n it's not that tough to get into, but it was um, late spring and I had a bunch of other like commitments. So I was Where do you fly out of if you're going to do that? Uh, I think you could, I know Miami, but I, really? yeah, I think they you could. direct flights back and forth and you can just. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It used to be you had to go down to Mexico and fly right, over right. there or, or somewhere else, but that there, since it's the Obama administration, there've been direct huh. flights. And I don't I think, I don't think Trump shut that down. I don't think so. Um, yeah, so uh, I, d I did some location research for it. Um, but well, this actually, uh, the, uh, on the Mexican side, mm -hmm. um, so I did research in Mexico City for a book I did. Yeah. And so I'm dying to read about Mexico City, and everybody gets slaughtered there off the page. And I'm like, well, where's this Mexico thing coming? So then you end up where you did the research at. Yeah, in Tulum. Yeah. Yeah, so, so over on the coast. Um, I've been to Mexico City, to researching a Gray Man book. And there's parts of it that are as nice as any place you've yeah. ever been, and then other parts are, and then there's other parts are not. And honestly, Tulum, um, where I went last year, that's on the coast. Is that right? Yeah, it's yeah. On, it's in Quintana Roo, which is on the 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 Maya yeah, coast okay. there, um, Maya Riv Mayan Riviera they call it. But they're they're having problems now with with crime and drug dealers and yeah. um, tourists getting shot and stuff like that it's sad when it, when I was there last year the the hotel we stayed at um, was in a national park uh, but like a recently classified as a national park because I've been there before and so you had to go through police checkpoints to go to your hotel and to go to the store or to go anywhere else and they would always you know nobody spoke English and they would always sort of like question you and it's like some 21 year old guy asking you looking at a loaded weapon yeah they, they all have a loaded weapon there's like 16 of them and they're like looking in the vehicle and um I, my wife and i um which is we're going to the grocery store and we had no kids with us and everything and but the, nobody was in the car except for us and i had a big suburban so the guy was like looking in the back and he's like it's just you guys huh you know and he's like not buying my story <laughs> that i was going to the grocery store and it's like i'm going to shedder eye which is the grocery store like right around the corner it's like you I'm still speak I'm fluent spanish so yeah, it's not fluent i mean it's it was you fine it was plenty fine for that yeah um yeah and uh yeah we got when we were leaving town i hit a speed bump too hard so i got pulled over and charged two hundred dollars for it um but but there it's very convenient i didn't get it pesos or two hundred dollars two hundred dollars uh well actually what happened was and this happens all the time it's just a shakedown so it, it was five in the morning heading towards the airport 
they see uh, a big gringo family in a rental car and they just pull you over and they're like, uh, sorry, um, you're going to have to pay a fine and you have to pay it at the police station. It doesn't open till 9 a.m. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I got to get on a plane. And they're like, oh, sorry. Sorry, and then I, I'm like, all right, I guess I'll be the one to say it. I'm like, is there some way I could take <laughs> care of this I here? saw this in Colombo once. Yeah, <laughs> and the guy pulls out a calculator, and I swear to God this happened. Um, well, actually, he makes me get out of the car and go around to the back. Um, and then, of course, family was kind of freaking out, and I was like, it's just a shakedown. It's, you know, we've got some cash. <laughs> You're allowed gunshot. Yeah. Step uh, on the gas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we go around the back, and he says, so you know we're, you're gonna have to come to the police station at nine o'clock but i'm i'm gonna take the license plate off of your car so you'll show up and i'm like this is and they had my driver's license and uh, they were gonna keep that and so i was like is there some way we could perhaps handle this right here and he pulls out a calculator and goes da, 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 and he's like it's x thousand pesos and i was like how much in u.s dollars because i didn't have that many pesos and he shows me 240 he goes da, 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 da. 200 and I was like oh there's a discount on crime this morning this is fantastic <laughs> so I was like yeah it's 200 so I went back up to the car I, I didn't want to uh, I had the money in my yeah. pocket but I didn't want to pull it out in front of him because I had more so I went to the front of the car I was like you know and so I, I went and I was like it's just a shakedown no problem so I gave him 200 everything's cool I gave him 200 dollars and they're like all right you know gracias and they start walking away and I was like I wonder did you did you guys need to take a note of my name or anything like that? Because I know you've got to get that into your coffers. Um, but it was just typical. You didn't say, do I get a receipt? Yeah, do I get a receipt? <laughs> They'll give you a receipt. But then after that, and I'm sure this is on purpose, the speed limit changes from like 40 kilometers to 60 to 90 to 30 to 40. Okay. to thir And I was like the whole way there, my wife was like just watching every street. <laughs> each street that, so I was like, I can't get pulled over again because I'm running out of cash. <laughs> It's not it's just a, a Mexican. It used to be a deal in Buford, South Carolina, if you were <laughs> down there, and you were going to go from Hilton Head to Savannah. They had this really great speed trap, but that's what they did. I think half the city revenue came from people. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure that it did. Trip, I'm know? sure it does. Yeah. But you couldn't pay that guy on the street. They were actually yeah. taking it for the coffers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we were talking about the characters, and the, the uh, um, you've got a lot of returning characters, but one of the themes that permeates the book, actually starts right out in the front of the book, is uh, uh, the theme of trust. Mm -hmm. Trust between Court and Zoya. Trust between Zach when he gets hired. He's the only reason he's hired is because he's trusted. Yeah. And Court doesn't trust anybody, and Zoya's wondering if she should trust somebody. Yeah. And yeah. how hard is that to do? You're developing these characters. through. They've been in multiple books, but they've still got to advance forward, and you've yeah. got to think about how you're going to do that. Yeah, so it's, it's a fun part of this for me is to think about the psychology of these characters that you create and what their life would be like and what their brains would be like um, through everything you've put them through. And it's just like the medical stuff, if, if one of my characters gets hurt, they get treated for it, they don't just sort of shake off gunshot wounds or things like that. Um, some, sometimes their treatment is a little implausible. Uh, in the first Gray Man book, um, he got his gut stitched up while he was driving, uh, things like that. So. Unlikely, but not impossible. Um, but, you know, some, some writers don't deal with the, you know, they just take the damage and just keep yeah, on going. Like a video game. Yeah. So I, I feel the same way about, like, the psychology of, like, what you put these people through. And so they're, you know, they're killers for hire. They have what they think is a moral code, but they've seen some really bad things and they've done some really bad things. And in the case of court, 
he's been pursued pretty much his entire adult life. He's been in danger. And I think about all the walls that you would build up and the defenses and how paranoid you would be for, for good reason, but still really paranoid. And so Zoya has a lot of the same experiences and they're in love with each other. And the book opens up with them having just spent like the best four months of their lives. They're on the run, but they're together and they're not, you know, fighting for their life every day. They're just like laying low. And pretty s quickly into the story, something happens where Court realizes Zoya is lying to him about something. And I, it was kind of interesting to me to kind of explore like, what would that be like if you were this really paranoid person that let one person into your little circle of trust and it might be an inconsequential thing that they've lied to you about, but like how quickly would you build all those walls back up? And that was the, that was the thing that was kind of interesting to write about and to write about their relationship, um, trying to persevere as other things are going on when there is this something of a breach of trust. So it was a lot of fun. And in the case of Zach, um, there was a whole scene that got taken out of the book that'll come in another book where Zach actually, um, and it was taken out of the book because my first draft of this book was 189,000 words and it ended up being 170. Um, so I had to shave some stuff down. And uh, there was a, the, a scene I'd written where Zach actually meets his daughter or, or encounters his daughter who is in the witness protection program, but he's figured out, he's found out where she is. And, uh, and it was sort of setting him up for this um, place where he he doesn't feel like he has any place to go because she has another father and his, his ex-wife, um, her mom. It's going to show up in a later book because I did like the scene. It just didn't really advance the plot. All it I was did about to say, I don't remember any of this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't. Um, it's funny, the Russo brothers asked me for an early copy of the book, the directors of the Gray Man film. They asked me for an early copy of the book. And I sent him that scene. And I sent the <laughs> version with that scene because I'm like, I think it's cool. You know, it's like just because my editor thinks the book's too long, it's like I'll, I'll, I'll give it, I'll give whatever. Everybody gets a director's cut. Yeah, it's a director's cut. Um, so you know, th that was the whole idea that, that the Zach is is um, he's at a point in his life where he do doesn't really he feels listless and doesn't really have any direction. So he takes a job uh, as the head of security for a guy named Anton Hinton who is an Elon Musk type character, yeah. a, a multi-billionaire with a large artificial intelligence um, laboratory. And someone is going around killing all the leaders or the, you know, sort of the thought leaders of AI and robotics. And there's an attempt on Hinton's life and his head of security is killed. So Zach gets the call the next day to see if he'll replace him. So, so Zach goes there. Not everything at this uh, corporation that he's working for is, on the up and up, so he, you know, has to protect Anton while at the same time trying to figure out um, this mystery that's sort of permeating the book: who's behind this um, this spate of assassinations and what the end end game is. Well, you just brought up a question I didn't didn't even think of. The, uh, um, the first thing I was talking about is he gets called because the SAS guy trusts him. Yeah, there's so only a few guys that I'm going to trust to do this. Yeah, and you're one of them. There's a guy named Gareth Wren who's a former SAS guy who is, uh, I, I guess he's like the manager for Anton yeah. Hinton, former head of security. And so he needs somebody to watch over Anton, so he contacts Zach. Uh, the question just popped in my head, though. His, the primary security for Hinton are Chilean guys. Yeah. Where'd that come from? 
Do they known to have security guys? Or? Yeah. So there, there's a lot of. Um, I've heard Colombians. Never heard. Yeah, of Chile. C- c- civilian mili- military contractors from from Chile. I don't know if there's a lot of them, but I've I've. I thought that was unique. I read that. I was like, yeah. I bet if I looked this up, it's true. Yeah. It's like, why would he have Chileans? I mean, he 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 has multiple houses all around the world. Hinton. It goes into that into some degree, and he has this big laboratory in Cuba as well as other labs, and. Um, and yeah, no, I've I so I've run into uh, a uh, I trained with a Ch- Chilean Blackwater guy, really? at, at a at a at a training thing. Yeah, and huh. uh, yeah, it's just funny the, the interesting people that yeah, you, yeah. you that you meet that in that world. I was too lazy to actually look it up. I just trusted you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's got to be good. All right, so some writing stuff. Delving into your writing uh, um, methodology, the first one that struck me because people hit me up all the time, and say, why don't you have a list of characters like Mark Greeny does? So I'm reading this book. <laughs> You've got a list of characters in front. I'm wondering, how do you make the character list? Oh, yeah. so the character list is for me. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like I'm, I'm, I'm happy that other people like it too. But I will, write, I will write a character down on the list as I create them or use them. And in this book, there's a, there's a character named Jim Pace who is all throughout the book. He was in Sierra 6 as well. And... Um, He's not on the list. He's not on the character list. And Wait a minute, I, let's keep I going. I just forgot. I just, for, I, I just well, forgot. Who's the main assassin running around? Uh, Kincaid. He's on there, right? Nope. You're kidding. He's not on there. <laughs> it's just that I did a bad job. Although, <laughs> I'll tell you, when you read the book, there's a Father guy who will gets... offer refunds to everyone. There's a guy, <laughs> the guy who gets killed in the second page is on the list. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You never hear about well, him again. No, because they refer to Rick Watt a lot. So, <laughs> so Kincaid is on there? No, he's not on there. Why, Why did you look at that part so <laughs> carefully? <laughs> <laughs> because people keep telling me, and I'm a writer, so I'm yeah. like, how does he do this? Yeah, so that's not how you do it. I actually told uh, my wife, I said, I think it's only the good guys he's putting on here. <laughs> None of the bad guys get No, there's here. no rhyme or reason. That, that, that's a complete mistake. But, but it is sort of as I'm trying to, like, um, register characters as I'm writing them, um, I'll put that on there. Uh, we were talking about it earlier. The co- when the copy editor goes through your book, they create a timeline for your book. And they point out if something's not right. They're like, well, wait a second. If this person's in Dubai yeah. and talking to this person, it wouldn't be 6 p.m. there. It would be 3 p.m. or whatever. So it's nice that somebody does all that work for you. But you've already spent so much time with the book. It's and impossible to it fix it. Yeah, when they come back and they're like, there's something in your timeline that doesn't work. You're just like, I'm just going to take out all the times in the book. I'm just going <laughs> to take out every day. <laughs> Um, because it's it's really you know it, it that's not just like a typo you correct. Yeah. Well, you sometimes d- I type in so it's like uh, you know Washington D.C. works nine to five and and Pike's over yeah. in Europe and and they'll say you know it's midnight in D.C. All right, here's your sentence. I couldn't believe he was still there at midnight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Pulling an all-nighter. Um, right. Yeah. So there, there, there's things like that. Is that every every one of your books is like that? But I, I like. I like the character list because it. I do refer to it a lot. Apparently, not as much as I should. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it works for you. Yeah. Obviously, Lancer, you knew from ever. There's no reason yeah, to put him on the list. Exactly. You've got him, exactly. You know him. I, I mean, it, it was like, um, I, I don't know. There, there might be one where I don't put Court on there. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> I don't well, have to go back and check. Like, he's got Court, but he doesn't yeah. have Lancer. There's got to be. Yeah. So, I mean, I do that at the bottom of the page or the bottom of my manuscript is just a list of names. So it's basically right. the same thing. Right, right, and right. I've got bolded names. Right. You know, like and you do, you do um, like sort of character studies on your characters, right? Don't you write out? Uh, do I don't do, uh, depending on how big they're going to be in yeah. the book. Uh, I mean, like paragraph and a half. And it's not really a character study. I've already got it in my head. And so I'm, 
so I can remember what I said. So you have so notes. I, so I don't yeah. make a mistake. Yeah. Because uh, I've done that in the past. You yeah. Know? It was like I thought this guy was from Philadelphia. Now you say he's from Washington. Yeah. Did I say that? Yeah. So just notes so I won't forget it. Yeah, yeah. My the, the, one of the early Gray Man books, or maybe the second one, I said he was from Tallahassee, Florida, and then I misremembered that. And <laughs> and another book said he was from Jacksonville. So when I finally needed to give him a place to live, I found a city between the two right, of between them. Between the two. <laughs> it's called Glen St. Mary. It's a small little town, and I've had probably ten emails from people that's like, hey. Uh, how did you, Figure how do you know about, that? so what's your connection with Claude Harvey Road on, uh, <laughs> in Glen St. Mary? And I'm like, well, the answer connection you're going to get, apps. yeah, <laughs> the answer you're going to get is not going to be very satisfactory. And we've had a discussion on writing on the, uh, um, the flow for gunfights and things like that, hand to hand and all that kind of stuff. And how often do you describe the weapon systems? How deep do you go? When do you do that? And that kind of thing. And I thought, uh, uh, I mean, reading this one specifically, that the, you dabble just enough out there that if you know what you're talking about, then you completely get it, and there's no reason to know anymore. Mm -hmm. But you don't put so much stuff out there that it just bores to tears. For yeah. instance, you had a um, – I think Lancer used a Ruger precision rifle mm -hmm. in one shot. Yeah. I mean, I – Because I have one. That's why. <laughs> oh, do you really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I immediately thought about telling my wife I need to buy one. <laughs> the uh, I knew immediately what you were talking about. Yeah, yeah, sure. And, uh, but it didn't go into huge depth. So he's – He's got uh, um, cord draws. He's got a red dot side, but you didn't spend 18 hours talking about whether it's a Delta Pro or RMR yeah, or yeah, all yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And talk a little bit about that. When do you make the decision, you know, I needed to describe this? Because obviously Lancer's weapon's got to be described because that's a key feature. Right, what he yeah. Does. So Lancer is an assassin who's a former Navy SEAL who was— uh, They're always SEALs. <laughs> he was brought up on charges of, um, of murdering somebody in the field and was exonerated for it. Um, and if you know of somebody like that in the <laughs> real world, there's no necessar not necessarily the same person. Um, so um, I have opinions about that, it's clear. But so, yeah, Lancer has a very specific weapon, which is actually integral to the story a little bit. But I, I don't, n I think I probably edit out stuff on later edits where I think I'm going a little bit long about this detail. Yeah. You know, and I don't want to just like give real intense details about um, guns and then less detail about radio communications or whatever. So, you know, I don't want it to just feel so like yeah. overweighted in, in, in one thing. So I try and keep it, I, I, you know, like I want, like when I've been around firearms and like I don't think the average person knows that you can actually feel the overpressure of a bullet passing close to your body and things like that. So I put that in the book because I think it really sort of like brings the reader into that thing and go like, oh, whoa, uh, you know, and um, but I don't want to put so much in there. You know, it's like it's a model something, something, you know, yeah. the third the third revision of such and such with the. 2.5 pound trigger, yada yada. You know that's unless you're getting a free weapon. Unless I'm getting a free weapon, and I'm <laughs> which is actually happening. But uh <laughs> <laughs> but that's not why I put it in the book. Um, I, I'll wait till it's in my hand before I talk about that. <laughs> so why don't we say a couple of words about Brad's book? Because I have to say, when Brad was here in January for Dead Man's Hand, one of the things we talked about was whether events were going to overtake the book before it got published. Yeah. And so far, you seem to still be I'm okay. Yeah. I know. I'm amazed. Cause <laughs> Everything's worked out. Yeah. Uh, so tell us just a couple things about Dead Man's Hand, because not everybody here was here in January. Yeah. So I wrote Dead Man's Hand. I was doing research on the Russian war in Ukraine, uh, not because I was going to write a novel, just because I, I uh, 
keep up on that stuff just like Mark does. And um, I ran across the system that one of the big things about Ukraine and the war there is are we going to go to nuclear war? Is it when are we going to cross the red line? When's Russia going to start launching nukes? And so I started studying what would those red lines be? Where would the line be crossed if we'd start seeing, uh, you know, going up to the uh, level of a, a possible nuclear confrontation? And one of the systems I found was a system called Perimeter, which was developed by the USSR uh, way back in the 80s. It was a, a counteraction to our own strategic defense initiative from Reagan when he came out with the Star Wars thing. He said to everybody, we can knock out any missile that hits our uh, airspace, we can knock it out. And that scared the heck out of Russia because at that time, uh, MAD, mutually assured destruction, was the way we weren't going to war. If you fire first, we're going to kill you. If we fire first, we know we're going to get destroyed, so we both won't fire. And Russia said, well, if they think they can knock every missile out of the air, that increases their chances of doing a first strike. And so they created um, the perimeter system, which in the West, in NATO, was known as the dead hand, which was the very first bit of artificial intelligence used, really rudimentary back then, where they put sensors all over Russia and said uh, um, that they had sensors for seismic sensors, for earthquake activity, communication sensors, if somebody was, was a Kremlin talking to the field. And if all these conditions were met in this rudimentary artificial intelligence, the computer said we've had a first strike. And as the computer said we had a first strike, it could launch any remaining missile from Russia. And um, that's a real system, and they still have it. And I was like, man, there's a story there. Because it was, I mean, were they updating it with five and a quarter floppies? You know, are they checking the batteries on that thing? <laughs> um, and so that's where the genesis of the story was. But my big fear was that, you know, because the Ukrainian war is so, it's current. And it could take a left or a right. And by the time the book came out, it'd be worthless. But I did a pretty good job predicting. I figured where it would go, and it worked out. But specifically, sorry, but specifically, this is the leader of Russia that, wants to invoke this right yeah, yeah for my book yeah so i the fictional part of it the perimeter system's real and the fictional part putin says i'm not going to do it for a first strike in the real world if it has to be an actual nuclear strike on russian soil for the system to initiate he says i'm going to do it for me if i take a short walk out of a long window or drink some poison tea um speaking of which did you see these the ukrainian defector just got smoked in spain yeah yeah putin's running around killing everybody all over the place yeah. and um he said, if something happens to me, then I'm going to launch the missile, the RMS-28, which is, we call it Satan-2. It's the largest nuclear missile in the world. It's got, I think, 32 MIRV warheads that come out. It's just a devastating thing. And he said, I'm going to launch this. So he gives his buddies four guys, he calls them the four horsemen, and says, if I get killed, launch these missiles. And that's where the book kind of goes. Well, one has to hope that it won't actually happen, although the yeah. temptation is great to think that somebody might actually take him out. Um, anyway, how about questions from the audience? Um, Mark, do you want to call? One? Sure. I've got a few. Yeah. Um, I've got a couple. One at a time. You're an amazing author. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. forever grateful for the great man. Oh, thank you. I'm wondering, when you start a book, do you know the beginning, the middle, the end, and do you write chronologically? Or do you sometimes bounce around and maybe write the ending before the middle? I'm just curious how your process is. I, um, I don't always know the whole thing. I have, like, little places I want to go, and I will write sort of a – I don't want to call it an outline because it's not really that tight. It's sort of like a little story about what I want to write about, and it's before I've done any of the research, so you don't really know. Um, I do not write chronologically at all. Um, I bounce all over the place, and um, – 
that's like the best way to get rid of writer's block. I mean, I still have a lot of writer's block, but is is like if you're stuck in a part, I'll be like, well, I know there's going to be a part where these two people meet, so let's just and you know, and then I do a lot of editing. Like my, my books only come together like on the second draft as far as I'm concerned. Like I think they're junk when I turn it, when I first turn it into my editor. Um, and I think he probably does too. He never says that, but uh, um, he knows that I've cleaned them up and cleaned them up and, and I find discrepancies or tighten things up. But I, um, yeah, I, I will have like for book 14 of the gray man, or I will just go to this one. I didn't really know where this was going to go. I knew that I wanted, I knew who I wanted the villain to be the actual um, plot just developed over time as I was writing it. So I started writing it at the beginning of March and I finished it in August, um, early August. And uh, I, in July, I was learning tons of stuff about the book. And I, I remember one of the Clancy books I did after he died, it, it was due like in four days. And I just remember just staring at the wall going like, I don't understand my own book. You know, this is like, <laughs> it, it's, a, it's a horrible feeling. It's a really, really scary feeling. And you're just like, I, and I've said this, and I and I mean this. Every single book I've written, there's been some point in during the process where I'm thinking, I just want to give my advance back and just <laughs> just be, you know like just say, well, this one didn't work, you know, we'll we'll, we'll try we'll try fresh next year. And then you just slog on through, and then it and then it you know, it, it gets where you want it. By the third draft, I'm like, hey, I think I got something here. <laughs> important thing to remember too is if you want to be a published author at some point you have to let the book go otherwise you yeah. should keep writing it yeah. for your entire life everybody oh that's everybody goes like oh it must be the best feeling when you turn that book in i'm like no it's it's like you're, you're walking around with no pants on you know you're <laughs> <laughs> you're just waiting for people to you know to, to pick stuff out so it's always it's always scary like there's never really a point where you're like I mean, i'll get an email about something i got wrong in a book in 2009 and people be like i want to bring this to your attention i'm like all right, yeah, you're a rock star, buddy. Nobody's <laughs> It's like, let me tell you about the other 13 errors in that book that you didn't catch. Right yeah, behind there. Uh, I guess the work that goes all along with that, how prolific your writing is. How do you do that? Are you doing eight hours a day and everybody else is doing some work? Huh. Even Jack Carr mentioned that. How do you do two a year? Well, it's not sustainable, and I've said that for years, but I really am stopping the, the two-a-year thing. Uh, I did two this year, so all through the holidays, like, I mean, I was present for Thanksgiving and Christmas, but, I mean, I work every single day um, on the second book I have this coming out in June, and um, I'm still editing it now and worked on it today on the plane. Um, I, I've written about 320,000 words this last year, and... Um, I'd like to get it down to 160, 170. Um, I guess I, this is my 24th book, and my 25th book will come out in June since 2009. So there's been a lot. I've done a lot of writing. And it is, it's, I don't work eight-hour days. I, I start writing as soon as I can in the morning, and I write as long as I can. And that's usually it, unless I'm way on deadline or, or past due or something. And then I'll Yeah, so they've they've written another script for the they've written the second script and I haven't seen it. I don't know if it's polished. I don't know when they're going to announce anything uh, one way or the other. I think Gosling has only gotten more famous in the past couple of years, so I don't know if that's going to slow things down. I saw they're talking about making him Rambo. Um, I don't know if they're talking uh, about Stallone it, said that. Yeah, Stallone said that. So that's a, that's a that's a long way away. But you know, I'm sitting there going like, no, don't do that. Um, <laughs> so we'll see. I,
Uh, yes, sir. Uh, oh, I'll, I'll do it here. I'll, 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 I don't know which one. Sorry, I'm trying to point it. I'm pointing at you with mom. Going uh, with that about the movie, uh, once they buy the rights to the book, how much input do you get in to who plays any part or anything? Or are you completely out of that? Completely out of it. Um, th as a courtesy, they, well, I don't know if it was a courtesy, they probably needed help. Like when they first started writing the script, uh, the Russo brothers, the directors, who also, or Joe Russo wrote the first draft of the script, they had me come to California and spend like three days with them talking about, you know, the story and, and that. And that was years ago. And so I went away. We stayed in touch, and, and Joe would send me the copies of the different scripts as they went along. And then once they started shooting, they sent me the shooting script, so kind of the official script, which had changed somewhat in this story but there there's nothing and i get emails all day every day going like you can't let gosling play the you know, or, or whatever and, and and they're like you just don't have control and then you know and I, I literally had somebody go well if stephen king can tell them you can tell them or something like that i was like nope nope <laughs> <laughs> like your evidence is the the evidence that you're wrong it's, uh, um so yeah so I, I, and and sometimes if you're john grisham or stephen king or somebody like that you you definitely can I mean, Jack Carr was an, uh, was an executive producer on Terminal List, so he was on set a lot. Uh, Michael Conley, I mean, it's totally... Michael's backed off. I mean, we talked about that when oh, really? he was here. He'd rather write. He said he yeah, had I was to make say, a decision. I, 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 he'd that was probably great for a while, and then it was probably good to step away. So it is different in different situations. But in my situation, I had this little paperback mass market book that Hollywood said they were interested in, and it, I was not in a negotiating position where I'm like, listen, I want to play the lead, you know. <laughs> 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 and I wouldn't. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's, that was why I was asking because I'm not real sure about the sequel. It's a great yeah, so I was, I, was happy, I was happy with the movie overall. Um, you know, it's different, but I'm okay with the book and a movie being different because I want people to read the book. That's right, and the book is still the book, regardless yeah, of how exactly. the movie is. Right? Exactly. So did you have a question? Huh? Yeah, I'll do you. And then, uh, and then go ahead. You go. Um, I just want to comment. I think Ryan Gosling did a great job. Thank you. I, yeah. I think that was a good one, and they did a really yeah. good script. Um, your book in June, is that a Duffy book? Yes, it's oh. the second Josh Duffy novel. It's called Sentinel, and it takes place um, three and a half years after the first okay. book, and now... Josh is working for the State Department in diplomatic security, and his wife works for the State Department as a foreign service officer. And they um, are assigned to uh, uh, a West African country. So I went and did some research in Ghana last year. And, um, and of course, you know, they, they bring their kids, and it's just like a nice, wonderful life, which lasts about 40 pages. And then <laughs> since, <laughs> since it's one of my books, then everything goes to hell. <laughs> <laughs> So I did a little computer magic, and you can now reserve it if you want a signed copy already before oh, wow. you leave tonight. I know, wasn't that I should great? probably finish it. I should probably That's get right. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm going to demand you refund their money. There we go. Yes, sir. So Gray Man was first. Um, so I wrote Gray, Gray. I wasn't published at all when I wrote Gray Man. That was my first published book. And that came out in October of 2009, and in February of 2011, I still have the email, um, is when I started, the, they started talking to me about doing the, the Clancy 
a book with Tom. Tom was alive at the time. And then I think I got the job like in March and, or late March. And they're like, um, yeah, they're looking to have the book by July. And I'm like, July of what year? They're like this July. And I'm like, wow, okay. So, and, and it was like that. I did seven and six years and it was, it was, they were all pretty fast paced. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they they changed so many characters, and and like really a guy that I thought was really good in the movie was Reggae Jean Page, who plays Denny Carmichael. And Denny Carmichael in the book is you know sixty. He, he's like central casting CIA um, uh, operations guy, um, like in his sixties. And Denny Carmichael's like thirty two, or, or Reggae Jean Page. I'm like that didn't occur to me. I think it works good in the movie, but uh, it doesn't make a lot. He's actually a medical examiner in Vera. In what? In Vera. I never saw that. Well, it was the TV thing with um, that uh, Ann Cleves writes. Oh, really? And he was the medical examiner. It took me a little while to oh, make wow. the transition yeah. from um, Bridgerton to, That's you know. Funny. yeah. He's a super nice guy. Yeah, really him. good yeah, looking really guy, nice guy, too. We have time for one more question. Uh, yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> Any updates with uh, Rip and uh, Red Metal Suit? So not really. Um, I d uh, basically, the, the book should have come out years ago that the um what what happened was the war in ukraine rip um instantly got involved he started a nonprofit, and he's been over there mostly in poland but he's been over in ukraine some and he's working really hard on that and so it's sort of like put us in a holding pattern i'm actually going to see him next week i'm going to be up in alexandria and i think we're going to have dinner um but i'm you know i'm not in a position to go like get back to writing because he well, you know what he's doing is saving lives and, and helping this war and he's very committed to it and I'm you know I support his, his I mean I support him you know I, I, I donate to his cause but also you know like I, I think he's he's doing a great thing I'd love that book to come out someday <laughs> um, but we'd have to, we'll have to get to a different point with the war sure. well, I want to thank you all very much for coming tonight and for your attention Brad thank could you. you hand me the Lisa Gardner book there um, let's thank Mark and Brad for a really thank great you. conversation. Thanks, Brad. Thank you. Hello. We hope you're enjoying our programs and podcasts with authors. We'd like to expand them, and your help would be appreciated. Please make a donation at poisonedpenfoundation.org. 100% of the proceeds will go to help connect authors with readers in this difficult time. Thank you.